Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. Those who have heard my first video will know that half of the actors at the amusement park I work at aren't really actors. We call them pretenders, not actors or monsters, plain and simple. It appears I have to preface this one by answering some frequently asked questions regarding Mr. Scratch. Yes, I do give him scritches and belly rubs and all that stuff from time to time. I often find myself treating him like my pet, even though I really shouldn't be doing that. And due to his size and strength, I have not yet attempted to play or wrestle with him, nor do I wish to try anytime soon. About his anatomy, I guess I could have made myself more clear. Imagine a huge, detailed costume, as it would be worn by an actor in a theme park. Now imagine the costume as an animal. The outer layer is made of fabric and the fur is artificial. But there's a whole bunch of functioning organs, blood and muscle tissue inside. It's a costume, and it is a living, breathing thing. And it does defecate. For some reason, a lot of you wanted to know that. They clean out his cage once a day when I'm out walking him about. I also mentioned him running off before. He only did it twice, and to be honest, it wasn't that big of a deal. The first time, it was actually my fault. My hands had grown sweaty from having held the leash for so long, and he was in a bit of a funky mood that day. So when he gave the chain one hard, strong pull, I lost my grip on it, and it flew out of my hand. He didn't get very far either. I'm a fast runner, and he only managed to make it to one of the ice cream parlors before I caught up to him. I got my hands back on the leash just as Dale, my manager, came running up to me. Upon noticing I had gotten the sock puppet back under control, he let out a sigh and muttered, Close shave, idiot, under his breath as he passed me. I didn't want to talk about the second time he ran off. It was nasty, and the only way I sleep soundly at night is knowing that it wasn't my fault. All in all, the sock puppet barely acts up. Unlike some of the others, you would think that the worst not-actors are from our part of the park, the horror section. But while the undead nurse and Mr. Scratch might be the more creepy-looking ones, the pretenders one should actually be afraid of are not under my or Darius's care, and this is what leads us to the neighboring section. The amusement park I work at might not be the biggest, but it is not modest by any means. This is proven by the most flashy and beautiful section, the Wild West one, or, as we call it, Twin Vale Point. This name is painted in large, black letters onto the wooden sign welcoming visitors into the western-style town. You'll find the most gorgeous, old-fashioned wood roller coaster in there. It's my personal favorite, and I'm guilty of sneaking rides on it during my break times, when there aren't as many visitors around. Other than that, I make it a point not to get too close to Twin Vale Point at any time. The setup is quite beautiful, and a refreshing contrast to the grim, dark, black and grey colors that I'm usually surrounded by when working in my own ghost town. 
but the western section also happens to be home to one of the pretenders that really freak me out. The Laughing Cowboy. Technically, I should not be able to encounter him as often as I do. Twinvale Point is a bit further away from the horror section, but somehow, and don't ask me why, our paths keep crossing anyway. The first time I met him was when I was already one month into the job. By then, I had gotten used to the way things work around here, and had come to enjoy my daily walks with Mr. Scratch, but I had also learned that it is important to give him a bit of a break from time to time. It was a particularly busy day, and the park was bustling with visitors. I had been walking the sock puppet around for about three hours straight, and had noticed him getting a bit tired, so I brought him back to his cage. It had been newly cleaned and padded out with some fresh hay. He seemed very relieved and happily marched inside once I let him off his leash. I locked the door behind him before making my way back to the main plaza, where I would often walk about. Now, you need to know that during sessions in which we expect a lot of visitors, us actors carry around walkie-talkies in case something happens, and we need to inform the others. They aren't management-issued. Dale could not give less of a damn about if we had a hard time or not. Someday, an actor just came up with the idea and bought a bunch of them. So it was one of those busy seasons and I had just arrived on the plaza when I heard my portable radio come crackling to life. I quickly walked over to a deserted corner behind a booth and pulled it from where I had tucked it into my waistband. Um, hello? Hi, anyone from the horror section? Guys, I need someone from the horror section. Come in, please. Hurry. Raising the speaker to my mouth, I responded. Horror section speaking, what's the matter? The distorted voice on the other end stayed silent for a little while, before finally answering. Oh, I get it, you must be the new tamer. Are you with Mr. Scratch right now? No, he's in his cage. What's the matter? Okay, so I hope I'm not overwhelming you with this, but I'm going to need you to help me with something here. It's... it's urgent. This is Mitchell from Twinvale Point speaking. The not-actor I'm assigned to just ran off. I lost sight of him and I can't find him anywhere. I think he's in your section. Shoot. Okay, man. What's he look like? Mitchell cleared his throat. Um, cowboy attire, you know. Large hat, leather vest, chaps and boots. Cleft lip and black teeth. Any idea where he might be at? I asked. Yes, actually. He's run off into your break room once or twice before. I don't know, maybe he likes it or something, but chances are he's in there. I sighed. Got it. I'll check it out. In case I find him, can you wait for me by the entrance? Will do. See you then. Oh, wait. One more thing. He doesn't talk, but he laughs an awful lot. Don't let it get to you. He only wants to creep you out. All right, I'll remember that. After this rather bizarre conversation, I instantly set out for the break room. The one in our part of the park is not very large, but it offers a space for Darius and me to change clothes, a table we sometimes eat at as well, as a small bathroom with merely a sink and a toilet. Upon entering the room, I immediately spotted him. A man in a cowboy hat was sitting at our table with his back turned to me. I cleared my throat. Hello? I was really trying to sound confident, but something about the way he was sitting perfectly still and the strange silence that hung in the air just made my skin crawl. You're going to have to return to Mitchell. 
I said firmly, hoping the pretender would not notice the slight quiver in my voice. You don't belong here. Now get moving. No reply. Instead, the cowboy's shoulders began shaking slightly. Dude, you're starting to get on my nerves. Get up and walk your ass back to the western section this instant, I ordered, taking a few slow, careful steps towards him. Again, no response. The quivering of his shoulders grew stronger. You hear me? Come on. Please, I need to get back to work. I walked just a little bit closer and hesitantly reached out to touch his back. The second my hand made contact with the leather of his vest, his head suddenly jerked back. He didn't turn around. He just threw his head back and stared up at me with wide eyes. I instantly backed away blindly, unable to break his gaze. His mouth opened, stretching into a wide, eerie smile, and I saw that his teeth were completely black, just like Mitchell had told me. I remember absent-mindedly taking notice of the cleft in his upper lip as well. A low, rumbling chuckle erupted from his throat. The cowboy slowly stood up, his neck still bent backwards so he could keep looking at me. It was a grotesque sight. Finally, he turned around, cackling loudly. He straightened his hat and proceeded towards me, holding out his hand. I stared at him, hesitant to take it, but eventually relented. His palm felt cold and clammy. Yeah, um, nice to meet you. Are you gonna get going now? I stammered, unsure of what to say. His laughter had faded, and he was now regarding me with a strange, void smirk on his face. He didn't let go of my hand. When I tried to pull away from him, his grip strengthened. I could feel my heart beating faster and faster in my chest. The cowboy was simply standing there, holding my hand, and grinning at me with his black teeth. I didn't know what to do. Trying not to look scared, I watched as droplets of equally black saliva formed on his lower lip. They soon grew and grew, and began running down his chin in tiny streams. I felt some of them land on my own hand, which was still squeezing painfully hard. A wave of relief washed over me when he let go of my hand. He then reached up to his collar and began unbuttoning his shirt. I quickly took a few steps backwards, raising my hands. What are you... Oh, no, man, you keep that on, I ordered. I did not like where this was going. To my surprise, he actually listened to me. He stopped and instead peeled back one side of his shirt, allowing me to see part of his upper body. There were three bullet holes in his chest. The skin around them was frayed, and the flesh in the holes themselves gray and dark. It looked rotten. I gagged slightly and turned my head. I could hear him start to giggle again. His snickering grew into a fit of laughter, and when I dared to look at him again, he had buttoned up his shirt and was doubling over. I merely stood there, watching in disbelief, as his eerie, throaty cackle seemed to echo off the walls of the empty break room. Suddenly, the door was thrown open and light flooded the rather dimly lit space. There was a man standing in the doorway. He was dressed like a sheriff out of an old Wild West movie. The cowboy's smile instantly faded from his face when he turned to look at the sheriff, visibly disappointed. The man dashed forward and grabbed the cowboy by the collar, pulling him away from me. Here I am, turning my back to you for one damn second, and next thing I know, you're off to harass the new employee. He grunted as he flung him aside. The cowboy quickly regained his footing, 
and looked up at his attacker with narrowed, hateful eyes. The sheriff introduced himself to me as Mitchell, and I accompanied him back to the entrance to Twin Vale Point, where we said our goodbyes. Mitchell had kept a firm grip on the not-actor's upper arm the whole time. It reminded me of a parent angrily dragging their misbehaving child along. He told me a couple of things about the cowboy on our way. Due to his humanoid appearance, he could not be led around on a leash, so Mitchell had to observe his every move and keep him from wandering off the boundaries of Twin Vale Point. Usually, he wouldn't cause too many problems, but from time to time he would become a little adventurous. Maybe it was just to annoy Mitchell. Either way, every time he'd get into that mood, he would run off and pull a prank or get up to some other trouble. I don't think he cares what it is he does, as long as it gets on my nerves, he said, side-glancing at the pretender, who was, begrudgingly, walking alongside him. I wouldn't say that the laughing cowboy is the monster I am most scared of. What I find so unnerving about him is that he keeps me in a limbo of trying to decide if he is a threat to me or not. He acts all cute around the visitors, always pauses to take photos with them and posing and stuff. The only time he gets disturbing like that is when one is alone with him. Plus, I'm not sure if he really means to do any harm or he just wants to mess with people. There have been instances of him being quite nice to me. One time he almost saved my life in a way. Since I was already talking about the not-actors that scare me, I believe it's time I told you about the Sugar Plum Fairy. The Sugar Plum Fairy is one of the monsters from the candy-themed section. Of course, it's directed mainly at really small children, not unlike the cowboy. The fairy does not cause a lot of trouble most of the time, except for when she does. She makes a way bigger mess. She has the general appearance of a very short young woman in a tutu. She wears a bunch of cute accessories in her hair that look like candy. She spends all day ballet dancing on a small stage in the candy section. She never stops moving. But every night when the park closes down and the monsters are brought into their overnight shelters, she goes absolutely berserk. Sure, I can understand. She doesn't want to be locked in a cage. But who knows what she would get up to with no one around to watch out for her. The person assigned to her is Maxine. She's a very nice girl, and we get along really well. She's dressed up as a princess and loves nothing more than taking pictures with the visitors. She spends her time hanging around the plaza in the candy section, watching out for the sugar plum fairy. While the fairy never acts up when there's still visitors around, she sure doesn't hold back when we're the only ones left in the park. This results in Maxine often needing our assistance in catching her and locking her up at nighttime. That one night, I had just taken Mr. Scratch to his cage. Maxine radioed for me to come over. Most of the other actors had not quite finished up their work yet, and were still busy taking care of their own assigned pretenders. So I had to go and help her catch the fairy. I made my way over to the candy section, where Maxine was waiting for me. She had already changed out of her costume and into her normal everyday clothes. She hurriedly explained to me that the sugar plum fairy had run off when she had entered the stage to take her back to the small trailer she spends the night in, and was now roaming this part of the park. We split up to go look for her, and I admit I was more than just a little nervous. 
The sugar plum fairy doesn't ever show her real face to the visitors. She keeps it hidden under that thing, that mask, which looks like a face but isn't. It's hard to describe. So I went down to the booths to look for her. It wasn't the first time I encountered her, so I knew what to expect. But when I found her sitting on the roof of one of the closed food stands facing me, I nearly got a heart attack. After I caught my breath again, I carefully continued to approach her. Hey, I said softly. I had learned early on that it is best not to anger her. Would you come down here, please? I reached up and held out my hand for her to help her jump off. Please? For me? I breathed a sigh of relief when she placed her tiny hand in mine. Moments later, she landed gracefully on the ground on her tiptoes. No idea how she does that, by the way. She let go of my hand and for a moment, we just looked at each other, smiling. Then her eyes suddenly rolled back into her head. She reached up and pinched the skin on her neck between her fingers and slowly peeled it off all the way up to her forehead, nearly stripping her entire head of its skin and revealing what I already knew was underneath. The true face of the sugar plum fairy consists entirely of one large, razor-sharp beak, not unlike that of a kraken. She opened it wide, hissing and snarling at me. I stumbled backwards, not sure of what to do. My hand reached for the whip on my waistband, my only means of self-defense, only to remember I had already changed out of my costume. I continued to back away, the sugar plum fairy slowly and menacingly proceeding towards me on her tiptoes. I screamed for Maxine to help me, knowing full well it was useless. By the time she'd find me, the monster would have probably already managed to take a good chunk out of my arm or something. The only option I had left was to run. I think I mentioned previously that I am quite fast, but apparently the sugar plum fairy is faster. She came bounding after me in long, graceful leaps, sometimes stopping to twirl or hop in place. It must have looked funny from an outside perspective. Still, she effortlessly managed to catch up with me and block my path. Her tiny hands pushed me to the ground, with a strength betraying her smile, with a strength betraying her small, delicate frame. I felt her step on my stomach, painfully pushing the tip of her toe into my soft flesh. Then, all of a sudden, she pulled back. I hadn't seen or heard him coming yet, when I looked up, the cleft-lipped cowboy from Twinvale Point was standing over me. The look on his face was stern, and he had placed one of his hands on the fairy's shoulder. She hissed at him and snapped her beak into his direction a couple times, but he remained unfazed. He just took her by the arm and calmly walked off with her. I pushed myself off the ground and followed them. He led her to her trailer, opened the door, and helped her climb inside before closing the latches and locking her in. I watched in disbelief as he tipped his hat at me before wandering off to the Wild West section. I thought I could hear Mitchell shout something along the lines of, Where the hell are you? in the distance. All in all, I think the sugar plum fairy might be the one that creeps me out the most. The cowboy is a close second, but just because he's so unpredictable. Then again, there's so many of them to choose from, and each pretender just hits another nerve with me so I can't really tell for sure.